John Gormley. What a morning we've had. And uh, a little bit of a weather issue, I put in quotes, across the uh, southern strip of the province, rest of the province. Pretty good-looking weather ahead all around that zero uh, low single-digit temps. And uh, if we can push the whole snow thing as far away as possible as November progresses, that's one less day in the cold, dark Russian winter that we become so accustomed to. But southern Saskatchewan, lots of snow on the ground in and around Regina today. So check out Highway Hotline, wherever you are going. Well, interesting the coincidences. Uh, we talk a fair bit on this show about different research and scientific initiatives. Uh, often it brings us to the Canadian light source, the synchrotron at the University of Saskatchewan, where researchers in fields of biology, uh, genetics, all sorts of areas. But lately, and this is just one of those happy coincidences, we've been chatting with scientists on battery technology. Do you remember the one researcher who is researching a kind of rust that appears naturally in metals that could actually help as a battery conductor? Uh, Other work on lithium-ion batteries. Well, now a researcher, recent uh, grad from Western and a PhD candidate who we've got on the phone at UCLA this morning, Justin Kim, who is trying to face what, of course, is the battery dilemma. We need greater battery capacity. We need them to charge more quickly. And particularly, as you move into the EV space and other things, battery technology is where it's going to be. So what about a solid-state lithium sulfur battery? And how does sulfur work in batteries? We find Justin in Los Angeles today. Hey, great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for the kind introduction as well. I'm very happy to be discussing some of my research today. So so how, as as an academic, uh, in the middle of your your PhD studies, why batteries and why now? Uh, Well... I would say, you know, batteries are, have been really important for, you know, over 30 years now, right? They've been responsible for a lot of our um, portable electronic devices. Um, they're in our laptops, phones. Uh, but moving forward, actually, battery technology is still very important and becoming more and more important, um, especially with the rise of electric vehicles and, you know, trying to transition towards a clean energy applications. So with batteries, that whole question, whether it's distance and holding a charge with an EV or even the smaller batteries, which have become exponentially more efficient, what's the challenge of just a greater capacity and, and more uh, more ability inside that battery to hold a charge? Right. So most of the batteries that are in our devices, electric vehicles, um, portable electronic devices, are lithium-ion batteries. And this lithium-ion battery technology, while it has, you know, served useful for, you know, the past three decades, um, we really need to innovate in terms of the materials uh, that we can use um, because, you know, we need new materials that can store more energy, that are more abundant, cheaper, um, and, you know, that are more robust during battery operation. So how did that bring you to sulfur? Yeah, so interestingly, um, I actually grew up in Vancouver, Canada, um, and I remember when I was younger, I would, you know, drive by these large piles of sulfur stored um, above ground, and it turns out that you can actually use sulfur as a material in a battery, and 
I think this is really promising because Canada is one of the largest exporters of sulfur worldwide um, because it's a byproduct of the natural gas industry. So using sulfur in a battery is really advantageous because it's so abundant, which means um, the battery can be much cheaper. And also, if you use sulfur, um, basically your batteries can store nearly 10 times the amount of energy as traditional lithium-ion batteries. So, 10 times. So is that a property of sulfur that we just haven't spent much time knowing about? Yeah. So actually there has been, you know, in our field, a lot of efforts to develop this type of battery chemistry. Um, so basically uh, it's, it depends on the chemistry of the material itself. And actually, if you want to reach the nearly 10 times amount of energy it can store, uh, we need to really overcome a lot of challenges before we can kind of reach that goal. And that, that is the basis of my research thus far. So when you're doing work at the synchrotron, which often, of course, is working at the molecular level, what are the principles that you're, you're trying to explore and learn something from? Yeah, so really um, the main goal is we want to understand how these batteries work um, and ultimately how they fail so that we can kind of form new design principles uh, that can improve battery performance, such as the lifetime of the battery and how much energy it stores. So for sulfur, um, basically when you discharge your battery, sulfur will convert into different species, um, and we wanted to kind of investigate these species and what kind of species exist um, using kind of the advanced characterization techniques at the CLS. So is sulfur used now in a limited application in batteries, Justin? Uh, so right now, um, lithium sulfur batteries uh, have not been commercialized yet. Um, I know a few companies in the U.S., such as Lighten, um, they're working very hard to commercialize this technology. Um, but I would say that the big difference between my research and, you know, the, the work that the companies are doing is that in my research, we are replacing the liquid electrolyte with the solid-state electrolyte. And the implications of this is basically the liquid electrolyte um, in all of our batteries and in those lithium-sulfur batteries are highly flammable. So I don't know if, you know, in the news we often see or sometimes see um, these electric vehicles kind of bursting into flames. And this is due to the liquid electrolyte component. Um, but if you kind of replace that component with an all-solid-state electrolyte, um, this can really lead to improved safety, which is really critical for these um, EV applications. Justin Kim is with us, PhD student at UCLA today and uh, Western University grad doing some work on the synchrotron in Saskatoon on a solid state lithium sulfur battery. So I know for big battery applications, or at least we think big, um, EVs in particular, uh, modes of transportation, does sulfur make the battery larger, smaller, heavier, lighter? Yeah, so that's a very great question. Um, and yes, by using sulfur, we can really kind of, because it can store more energy, um, we can make the batteries smaller and lighter. And I think um, this is why they're so promising for use in not only electric vehicles, but even electrified flight. Electrified flight. Boy, that's a, you know, you look at a lot of the work being done there. Um, is that still kind of further behind electric vehicles? Uh, yes, I would say, you know, it, we're still kind of far out, but you know, I think it really depends on the battery, right? So if we can kind of 
develop our battery technology. I would say, you know, electrified flight is maybe, if I'm optimistic, 10 or 20 years away. Um, that is my hope, and that's kind of what I'm working towards now. Justin Kim with us. Justin, great meeting you today. Continued uh, hard work and success on this, and it sounds like you're onto some very interesting technology. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Justin Kim, joining us at UCLA, PhD candidate, working recently at Saskatoon's Canadian Light Source on solid-state lithium sulfur batteries. Gosh, you just look at the amount of research, and like anything new, thousands of researchers in the academic space then starting to work with companies, trying to commercialize it, and the race is on for batteries with a greater capacity, quicker charging, smaller, and lighter. I'm Gorm Lee. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Oh, we could listen to the spirit of radio all day. I'm Sean Gormley. Before we leave you today, uh, breaking news this morning, uh, the Board of Police Commissioners Regina announcing a new top cop. Uh, Starting December the 1st, the Chief of Alberta's Sheriff's Service, uh, Chief Farouk Sheikh, will be starting in Regina as Chief of the RPS, uh, comes originally from Calgary and the West Coast in Canada, but a 30-plus year policing career where... He began with policing in the UK, both with the West Midlands Police and with the London Met Police. So, uh, good. December the 1st, brand new chief, of course, Evan Bray, who had been chief for a number of years, stepping down a few months ago. And uh, we will watch with uh, great encouragement the new chief at RPS. And, of course, lots of stuff evolving. Chief Troy Cooper in Saskatoon announcing that he will be retiring in January. So the search will be on for a new top cop in the largest city in the province. I don't mean to put too blunt a point on it, but the fact that Dawn Walker or Dawn Dumont, she's called herself several times. I mean, she ran as a federal liberal candidate as Dawn Dumont. She's Dawn Walker, uh, chief operating officer of the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, uh, playwright, comedian, author, newspaper columnist, uh, Queen's University educated law grad. I don't know if she's on the rolls as a lawyer or not, but Don Walker uh, was about as high profile and frankly as privileged a person as you're going to meet in Saskatchewan society. The con job that she pulled planned, premeditated, stole the identity of a couple of women, one who trusted her and had her life turned upside down, and the abuse that she wrought on her ex-husband by stealing their child, faking her death and or abduction, being found in Oregon City. Here's what I say when I talk about bringing the administration of justice into disrepute. Not the one-year sentence, and as the prosecutor said, this is a jail sentence, to be served in the community. That's not a jail sentence if it's not served in jail. Sorry, excuse me for being technical. But what brought the administration of justice into disrepute was that no one demanded some measure of restitution. In the agreed statement of facts, costs of over $100,000. A million is over 100000 It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Police command centers being wheeled into Riverbank Park, not just the 
Saskatoon Police Service, the RCMP got in on the act. Dive teams, aerial rescue teams, chartered helicopters, drones, search and rescue. For days. The political overlay on this was very high because if you hadn't gone to DEFCON 3, the FSIN and others were watching and demanding everything be done. This con artist had planned, carefully organized, and stolen the identity of at least one friend in order to perpetuate this fraud. So the fact that there was no restitution at all? The helicopter rental. Maybe some of the overtime. And I'm not going to ever take back that statement. I begin a one-year suspended sentence. Okay, she's not a great risk to injure the community. The idea, I mean, as much as jail would be attractive, just as a denunciation of this conduct, but she's not going to go to jail. But the fact she pays not one nickel to anybody victimized by this callous, cold-hearted deed, I just can't believe it. So why am I restating my rant? On Dawn Walker Dumont, she was also charged with the same very serious offenses by the federal prosecutors in Oregon. And usually in the U.S., when you're going to be prosecuted for forged documents, immigration offenses, fake passport, you're going to end up in jail. Uh, America, unlike us, doesn't have hesitation in sending a clear message to lawbreakers. Uh, Oregon Judge Marco Hernandez uh, has accepted, and this is uh, the, uh, I'm going to call it the crown, the prosecutors, uh, the DA moving to dismiss the indictment because she has pleaded guilty in Canada, because she's been sentenced in Canada. It is in the interests of justice, writes DA Natalie Wright, not to proceed in Oregon. So, Dawn Walker literally gets away from American justice. Okay. Uh, hey, tomorrow, midweek Wednesday, Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener, uh, we're going to reacquaint with a good friend of this show, Michael Levin, who is one of the leading researchers on Earth with multiple sclerosis. He runs Saskatchewan's MS research facilities. I will be in with Dr. Levin taking your calls on multiple sclerosis, which is a very, very common uh, disease in these parts of the world. And then uh, also tomorrow, um, we're going to lead off the show. I've got an announcement, something that you should be hearing here at 830. I'll tell you then on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.